Hey everyone, this is Tom Singer. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to inform you about a special offer that I have to join a brand new group called My Sales Call. If you work for a small business or if you're a solopreneur, having some people to talk about ideas and best practices and to have a focus and accountability around sales is so important. It's so easy to get caught up in the busy work that we don't do what we need to do to drive the sales in our business. So I have started a weekly call where people can get together and share ideas around sales and then make a commitment to the group of what they're going to accomplish for the next week. It's just like if you work for a big company, your sales manager would have a weekly sales call. This is your sales call. Go to mysalescall.com to find out more and sign up today. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. But hey, I have an announcement today. This is the first time you're going to hear it. And that is, we're going to change the cool kids table. I've been doing this podcast for coming up on six years. And starting July 1st, which is just a couple of months shy of six years, we're changing the name of the podcast. Uh, We're focusing a little bit more on larger company CEOs. And I'm changing the name of the show to Making Waves at sea level, as in the C-suite. So uh, you're going to start seeing uh, some different interviews coming down the pike. And uh, we're going to start today with the interview with a CEO of a great company. And I'm really excited to have him here today. I was supposed to be the master of ceremonies at the company's big users conference for all their customers that was going to be held in April. And I was really excited. I researched the company. I got to know some of their people. Super great people. Technology company. Awesome. And then... Coronavirus came along and we had to push that event off, uh, hopefully to the fall, uh, maybe next year. But I'm looking forward to getting to be there on their stage as their master of ceremonies, make their event really engaging, have a little bit of fun. But in the meantime, since we couldn't go live, I thought, let's go podcast. So today I have Russ Agrusa, and he is the CEO and the founder of Iconics. And we're going to have a great chat about sort of the history of the company, what it's like to be an entrepreneur, uh, maybe a little bit about where they're going as they come out of the other side of all of this coronavirus stuff. So, hey, Russ, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, soon to be making waves at sea level. Hello, everybody. It's great to be here. I'm excited about the podcast. I'm glad to have you here. So what led you to be an entrepreneur? Tell us a little bit about your background before you founded Iconics. Well, my background was in engineering. I was uh, trained as an electrical engineer and worked for Westinghouse, the company that Nikola Tesla helped found back in the early days. So alternating current, uh, being able to generators, turbines, you know, all the things that we use today, 60 cycle AC coming through your walls. So I worked on systems to help produce electrical energy. And uh, then uh, and to do that, you need a lot of software, it turns out. Mm-hmm. So I was in there in the early days of mini computers and, and helping create applications that would help run power plants, fossil power plants, nuclear power plants, wind turbines, renewable energy, any place you can get some electrons to flow. And, uh, you know, after that, I, uh, uh, I started a company, Iconics, with five other people that we had worked together. And uh, 
we we uh, everybody had their own expertise. We quit our jobs, and we convinced our wives uh, to give us a couple of years and uh, fund us. So the wives said, "Okay, you got two years to produce something." Otherwise, uh, you know, back to work. Back to work. That's right. What back what year work. was this? When did when did this you found it? 1986. Wow. It's been it's been a while. Uh, so back in '86. Uh, I bought my first personal computer. It was a Dell. It would cost $5,000. I have to realize a Mercury Capri, a car, would cost you about $3,500. You can buy an entire car for that amount of money, a brand new Mercury Capri out of, Germ- out of Germany. So I bought this computer, still in my office, and it was uh, actually when I called up, it was sold to me by Michael Dell. He was working out of his dorm room. Oh my and gosh! So I, you were you were an I, I, early yeah, customer of Dell. Early customer. I found it in Byte magazine, and it said for five thousand dollars you get a, uh, a one megahertz processor, one meg of memory, and if you buy this little chip, he can boost the performance to two megahertz. So uh, it had a ten meg hard drive. I you know it weighs a ton. It's like a boat anchor, but we developed the products on those machines. And uh, so it was the it was the uh, dawning of personal computing back in 86. The, the AT computer had just come out and we were writing everything in a window in, in C. Uh, we were using some tools, Lattice C. It was eventually bought by Microsoft and became Microsoft C, started their entire tools business. And uh, where did we get our expertise? Well, we were working on projects that were doing factory automation, doing industrial automation, water plants, power plants, uh, car manufacturing. So we simply, and we were doing these on PDP-11s and mini computers. We took our know-how and we transported that to the personal computer era. And five of us created a product. And back in about 1980. Eight, we went to our first trade show two years later, uh, and it was in Houston, Texas. It was called the ISA show, the Industrial Instrument Systems uh, uh, show in Houston. And uh, we got 450 leads. We had a little tabletop of, of uh, it was a 10 by 10, and three of us were down there, and we had 450 leads. And people were clamoring for this. We were running on Windows DOS. And, and that was about the right timing that your wives were happy because leads probably led to customers. Exactly. And the first customers were, uh, we had NASA on wind t- on uh, doing wind tunnel testing. In fact, uh, the Houston Space Center doing uh, zero gravity testing uses our software to this day. We had Polaroid. They were trying to make SX-70 film last longer because the shelf life in a, in a pharmacy would be about six months. Well, if you could extend the life of film to two years, you didn't have to take back all of this film. So we were working with some and, – and Disney. We started with Disney on their first ride. It was a spaceship Earth, and they were having the ride fail every day. And, they, and the guests would be in the dark climbing down ladders out of the spaceship Earth. That's a geodesic dome at Epcot Center. So we got a call and we went down there and we helped them solve the problem. Some of the motors were pulling the entire ride out of 119 motors. Three were doing all the work and these things would burn out. Mm -hmm. So we showed them how to balance that and balance the load. And they loved us so much that today we have over 274 rides running our software. We are the show monitor. So we've been on you know, all the all the new rides that they've done and uh, the opening in France and China and so on. So 
personal computers used in many different ways for doing water treatment systems, oil and gas. Uh, we did the Harry Potter ride at Universal Studios, which was a very cool ride. I, I was there when, when it first opened that summer, we took the kids and that was they, one of the best rides I had ever been on in my life. For three years, we were under an NDA and they selected us to be the software monitoring system for that ride. That was a $370 million ride. The CEO nearly got fired because around that time frame, there was a drop in you know 2008, 2009, and nobody was go- going to the park. Then everything opened up. That ride would, would take about 20,000 people a day. People would line up for four or five hours mm-hmm. at a crack for seven minutes going through, sitting on a broomstick, on the end of a robot, 60 robo coasters that would normally be used for truck manufacturing, you would be on the end of a gondola riding through this building with, on a broomstick. It was amazing. People were just blown out of their chairs. It packed the park nearly every day, 60,000 to capacity for like years. Yep. Yep. So I still so say, it, I still say it's the best ride I've ever been on. And, and so the history of that ride is quite amazing because uh, we worked with Disney quite a bit and uh, J.R. Rowling had personally wanted this. And so she was pitching this to the Disney people and they were about to sign the contract to do the Harry Potter ride at Disney. That's where it was supposed to go originally. But she said, I have only one condition. I want total artistic control <laughs> of the ride. And the Disney's people said, no, 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 no. This is already going to cost $300 million. We're not going to let you go in there, change everything. And we're, we're, on the, we're on the hook for this. So they, would, they refused to sign the agreement. She went across the street to Universal. They said, whatever you want. And they, and they got the contract. And that's, that's a great story because that's a game changer for Universal. I mean, that, that ride you know, was, a, was a game changer for their amusement park. So that's awesome. Yeah. It was. We've done four of them so far at uh, Universal in California, St. Petersburg, and actually in Osaka, Japan, there's another one. So that led us into working closely with Universal. So when I go to visit Disney, I say, is there anything we can do for you? Is there anything that we can do to help out? They said, yes, get us a Harry Potter ride. <laughs> I said, you had the ride in your hands. You had it. You sent her away. They said, we know. We fired the CEO for that. <laughs> so, so that's... That's the story of how software automation is used in so many different applications. Well, and just in, you know, in six minutes, I mean, you have shared some, you know, fascinating stories of the journey of Iconics. I'm sure we could make this like a three hour podcast with all the different types of amazing customers that that, that you've worked with. And I, and, I love that. That's how we started out with, with those sort of customers. It was Polaroid. It was NASA. It was Universal. It was Disney and water companies and power companies. So it's just fascinating how people use personal computers to automate their systems today. I mean, my my favorite was going to Nabisco and watching them make chocolate chip chips, Oreo cookies and chips ahoy. And you would go in there and there's a a 300 foot oven and they're making these cookies and you could pick them right off the thing. And why did we get called into Nabisco? Because they almost killed a couple of their uh, operators. When the cookies are coming out of the oven, you know, you're making Fig Newtons, you cut them and then they stand them on end. Well, now they're very gooey. So they put them through a freezer 
and the many of them had fallen off in the freezer and they were calling and none of the fig newtons were coming through they didn't see any so they were calling for more fig newtons fig newtons were filling up this entire massive freezer they could not get the door open and they nearly drowned in fig newtons <laughs> what so, a way to go <laughs> well i mean that that is my favorite cookie so if you had to go it would be it would be my choice of of death by cookie i'd put the fig newton right i'd put the fig newton as the way to go but take a while to dig you out though so if i've done my math right you started the company 34 years ago so mm-hmm. how, how many employees do you have now we have about 250 worldwide so we're doing primarily software automation now uh, we've been pretty successful uh, over the years. I worked very closely with my wife was a CPA and 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 the, and the MBA and she was a financial person. So it was a great combination. She took care of HR, finance, legal, and I did the marketing, sales, and the development side. Uh, over this last uh, August, we were uh, we sold the company to Mitsubishi Electric, which is a sixty billion dollar multinational company out of Japan and they're using our products throughout all of their uh, different uh, family of products hmm. robotics PLCs drives uh, elevators they make a lot of elevators and escalators so what have you loved about the life of entrepreneurship since since you and your partners went to your wives and said no really give us two years and now you've built this this giant successful company you've sold it what have you loved about the journey it's you know it isn't the money as much although you really do want to be profitable and you want to continuously grow your business because if you don't grow you're dying so you need to do that to stay ahead of your competition but it's been really to listen to the customers uh take back the ideas they're the ones giving you all the ideas customers say i wish it did this i wish it did that and you take those back and you have very talented uh development team that could turn these ideas into real products. Uh, you know, so today it's it's a little bit more complicated. You've got to look at trends in the market. You've got to look at your largest customer needs. Uh, you've got to really connect all these dots and say, where are we going to be three years from now? You know, are we going to be on the cloud? Are we going to be on IoT? You know, how, uh, you know, how do you, are we SaaS based? Are we on premise based? You know, in the software business, it's changing incredibly fast you've got to be really on top of these things so if somebody is listening to this and and you know they're on the earlier stage of entrepreneurship what advice do you have for them well you know when you start out it's uh you're really it's the people that you start with now on occasion you do this by yourself but many times you need a team with you so when you're getting started these are your partners. If they're your partners, you're getting married to these people. And I'm literally, you're getting married. I can remember we were in a boiler room in my basement and there would be five of us working down there. And one and my wife would come home after working all day. And one of my partners said, so what's for dinner tonight? We've been working all day. She goes, I married him. I didn't marry him. You know, it was that sort of thing. You know, you just uh, you, you got married to these guys. So now everything about them, you know, could explode. You have to really have good relationships with the people that you're going to get in business with. That's number one. Most businesses fail because you're in with someone and they break up. And you're in, well, now what do you do? You have this legal entity and you're, and you're going your separate ways. The whole thing falls apart. So I'd say that's an important aspect of. Uh, being close to the customer, really building things that people need, and not that's fun 
but things that people can use and people need. So having a, a you need some, I would say common sense, you know, it, it's not many people have common sense. You know, there it's, it's a really tough thing to me. It's something people be, they could be graduates from MIT. They've got all the degrees and we had several people like that, but they would have a green sock and a red sock and would not understand, could not listen to the customers, didn't want to uh, do what the needs of the marketplace were. You know, they knew better. So of the original founders, how many stuck around through the whole the whole journey? So through the whole journey, you know, over time, we were working 80 hours a week and you continue to do that, you know, for two years, five years, 10 years. Most of our most of the people said, Russ, I'm tired. Can you buy me out? Mm -hmm. So I was the last one standing. (laughs) So what we did was we used a company cash and we simply bought everybody's uh, stock back and and um, the last one standing. So that's how you become the final CEO and owner because there's nobody left. <laughs> so as the CEO, I, I spend a lot of time talking to to people at the C-level and, and, and other executives and leaders. And the one thing I've seen, which is why the new name of the show is becoming Making Waves at C-level, is CEOs who are successful, who get their companies through a long journey, who get to that exit. Uh, a lot of them have to make some hard decisions along the way. They have to make waves. Uh, what are some examples where you've had to do that? Well, you know, we started out with a great idea and we were on a platform. We were on the DOS platform at the time. That was what it was DOS. That's what you used. And then uh, by 1993, Windows came out. Now, I had partners that said, no one's going to ever use Windows on a factory floor. I mean, you've got to do mission critical stuff. <laughs> Isn't that fun to bring up at a cocktail party now? Like, remember when you said Windows was a fad? <laughs> and so they, you know, I would say, uh, I said, we really need to get on the Windows platform because I believe in Bill Gates. Look what he's done here. Let's ride that wave. And uh, and uh, well, some partners did not want to go into the Windows platform. They just thought it was a fad. Another one when there was the battle between IBM and Microsoft with OS2. Here's Big Blue, and they've got this incredible operating system, technically better. Uh, but they they were Big Blue, and you had, again, Bill Gates. Are you going to bet against Bill Gates? Back then, I had partners that said, and they quit over it. I had two of them that quit, that they wanted to go down the direction of OS2. I kept everybody focused on the Windows platform. So that was a second time that we could have died. If we'd gone the wrong direction, if we didn't get onto Windows, that would have been a slow death. If we didn't get, if we had gone down the OS2 path, that would have been a slow death. So there's along the road, every five years, you get hit with this, this decision you've got to make. And you've got your partners with you and everybody around you advising you. At the end of the day, somebody's got to make that decision, and it's a life and death decision. Because if you go down a direction that consumes all your resources, your marketing activity, who you're partnering with, where you're going, and if it's the wrong path, you fork, and that's going off a cliff. And uh, so that's how you survive, making sure you make the right decisions. We've been lucky. Over 30 years, we've we've made the right decisions. And all it takes is one, Mm -hmm. and you're done. Mm -hmm. So you've worked with and around a lot of people who have succeeded both as entrepreneurs, but also as, as just executives in a growing company. What do you think is the difference between people who have potential and kind of get stuck and people who have potential who really perform at a really high level? Why, why do some people get from potential to massive results and other people fall off the deep end? 
Well, there is there. There's a you know taking risks is one, okay, but then taking risks with your own resources and money and taking risks with someone else's, okay, and that's that's a fork in the road that you have to decide. Do, do we go out and do an IPO? Do we go take venture money? How much of that? You're giving away your soul. They're taking 10%, 20%. Pretty soon you're left with five and they own the company. Now, if you make a mistake or you don't get along, you're out. So you're making a very big decision. Now, on the, pot, on the, on the upside, if you use other people's money, you throw it at marketing, more sales, you expand quite quickly, you grow fast, and then you've got 5% of a much bigger pie. So you go with the, the, the uh, you know, grow at your own speed or use other people's. And that's, that's a tough decision for a lot of people. You know, today we started the old fashioned way. I got $15,000 from my mom and gave her 10% of the company for it, which she didn't want. And then when we cashed out, my 88-year-old mom says, what am I going to do with all of this? Well, I was going to ask if she was still alive today, because what a great story to be 88 years old and have an exit. Be like, oh, well, look at that. She's alive, and I got her an iPad, and she sits there and invests and watches CNBC and buys uh, Netflix and Roku. And I said, mom, what are you buying today? I'll buy lots of Roku. I said, what's Roku? She goes, I have no idea, but it's hot. <laughs> She's 88. I, so I bought her a little Roku device. I wanted to hook it on her TV. So I said, mom, this is what you invest. You, you in. own the company, mom. You should well, have part one. part of this company. <laughs> so she's got the uncanny ability to bet on, on Facebook, on Amazon, on Netflix. I mean, she's, I don't know. She just uh, picks them. She says, look, I invested in you and I, I went out as well. <laughs> what, a, what a great story. Grandma, grandma at 88 is, uh, 88 is, is, a tech, grandma. is a tech investor. That's what we like to hear. <laughs> so I've actually got more questions for you. I'm not going to let you go yet. But first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. And I have worked with Podfly since the very beginning of this show. In fact, I say it all the time. I couldn't have done it if I hadn't partnered with them because Podfly, they do all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Russ Agrusa. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of the show. And in fact, I just remembered I'm going to have to talk to them. They're going to have to change that link to uh, podfly.net slash making waves. But we'll do that after July 1st. So, Russ, I currently call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing with the company right now? Coolest thing with the company? Well, you know, we as 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 we've been uh, absorbed by Mitsubishi and having to deal with an, a company that's got several hundred thousand people, you know, Mitsubishi, people don't know them very well, but they own Nikon, they own Kirin beer in Japan. They have, uh, they've got uh, huge elevators, escalators, robotics. Most of the iPads and the iPhones are made on Mitsubishi uh, equipment uh, where they make the wave soldering machines and robotics that hold the iPad up and put the little screws in. I mean, you know, you might build, buy uh, an iPad, there's 30,000 robots building one of those things. There's no people in there. 
Uh, so uh, really integrating with them is a lot of fun because, you know, the Japanese are not as good at software as we are because we've kind of invented the languages, the science of that. And so they're getting an infusion of how to do agile development, how to quickly get products out, how to build scalable uh, software. So I think in, in this point in my life, that, that's really been a lot of fun is to work with a mega company and, and teaching them some of the things that we've done very well. So what are some of the differences from, from being the head of a 250 person company to being part of a company with so many, so many people and so many different levels? What are, what are the, what's the good, the bad, the ugly? Well, you know, they have a lot of rules, of course, you know, they have a lot of compliance, they have export controls, you know, when you're a large company, if you were to export, and this happened to us once, if you export products to a company that's to a country that's on the list of, of banned com- countries, you can get in a lot of trouble. We, it, it was the Kosovo war was going on. It was just starting. And one of our customers was a power plant in Yugoslavia. So we had packaged up, they ordered products every year. They had been a longtime customer. We were about to ship a lot of product to Yugoslavia. It was intercepted by UPS. UPS calls Department of Commerce. They said, we got a company here shipping product to Yugoslavia. <laughs> so the next thing I know is 12 people with badges and guns arrive at the confiscator fax machines, confiscate computers. They said, did you know you're shipping to a, uh, an export controlled country? I said, no. They were fine last week. <laughs> I was going to say, they, they weren't last time. They weren't last week, but, well, ignorance of the law is no excuse. And you, it cost us almost half a million dollars in legal fees mm. to get out of this thing. Uh, so, so they, as a large company, they're very hypersensitive about where you export to, following all the rules and regulations, you know, all signing off. The red tape is monstrous. <laughs> <laughs> the only way to describe it. So, Russ, I love it when I have a chance to talk to someone like you who has really built something over such a long journey. I love to come back and, and ask them, who do you admire when you look at entrepreneurs? Because we could talk about you and Iconics all day long. I mean, the stories just keep getting better. However, I think that great entrepreneurs, I, I think that they're observers. So I love to ask people, when you look out at that entrepreneur sphere, who do you say, wow, she or he, they're doing cool things? And, and if you look at the market today, the people that are the real entrepreneurs are the ones that are moving things forward at an astronomical rate. Uh, examples of that were Steve Jobs. I mean, I really admired him. Bill Gates, because we were a six-time partner of the year with Microsoft. We won uh, six Oscars from them for being such a great mm-hmm. partner. In fact, our software runs their entire campus. And uh, so I met Bill Gates many times, and I, I watched him in action and the way he worked. I mean, you could see how he connected the dots Connecting the dots, working your team is, is amazing. Now, when you're appointed as a CEO and it's not your baby and you didn't grow it, it's, it's hard. So you see Elon Musk, what he's doing and how he's driving, you know, driving progress. And uh, Bezos from Amazon, these are the, these, this is the wave of, of entrepreneurs that are, they've got enough uh, force and ownership to drive the needle and take massive risks. So the last question that I ask everybody is, is what do you do to give back to the greater good? Because I think in addition to making money, I think entrepreneurs want to leave a mark on society. So I love to ask the people who come on my show, what do they do to give back? Well, you know, my my wife passed away four years ago and she uh, died of colon cancer. 
at an age of 56, and she was beautiful. And uh, so I got involved with Harvard and uh, Dana-Farber and met all the doctors. So we funded the Project P, Project Paula Fund, and I've given a lot of money to them and working. we're working on uh, um, uh, immunotherapy for various cancers. So they're doing tremendous work. So uh, I'm kind of sponsoring a lot of core research at the at the Cancer Institute there. And, they're, and then I'm meeting with them once a month. They took our, her, her uh, uh, colon cancer and planted it into three mice. And then they, and so Paula lives on in, in these mice. And so they're constantly trying different uh, immunotherapies on them and having some amazing success. So that's one. And then the, the university is really giving back to the schools, you know, building out uh, new uh, uh, internet conference rooms uh, and various things on campus. So I've been giving back that way. Yeah, it is amazing what is going on in academia with these with the high tech that's been added into these schools. I had the the ability to tour the new business school building at Carnegie Mellon uh, last uh, just a year ago when my daughter graduated, and the level of technology in that building, you know, it's it's amazing what they've done. I mean, I remember going to school; it was just four walls and a, and a pencil. The, the the tech companies there's a big uh, fight for for in competition for the talent so if you can get them on your platform if you can sponsor a lot of that work it's phenomenal yeah no that, that's that, why that, you're seeing all that money being given that 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 is awesome and thank you so much for what for what you give there but also what you're doing with with the project in your wife's name that's a beautiful story so as I wrap this up if somebody listened to this episode and they they have to know more about you they want to learn more about iconics how do they find you well, if they want to know something about Iconics, it's www.iconics.com, and they can mail me at russa at iconics.com. Love nice. to get back to people. Nice. That, that is awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you for being here on the show. I really appreciate you, and I look forward to whenever you're able to have your uh, your customer event, I look forward to to being there and, and sharing in that experience because I was pretty impressed with, with what you guys do for your customers, and I know that when we can get together face-to-face again, you guys are going to rock their socks. We try to each year. So thank you very much for helping us out, and I enjoyed the interview with yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every single time. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we have the podcast? I'm excited about the changes that are coming. I would love to hear from you if you're a regular listener and you know someone who's a CEO of a company that has grown to the level of Iconics or larger. Uh, I would love to interview somebody in their C-suite because that's what we're looking to do with the, the new shape of the show. Uh, and uh, just keep tuning in. We're going to make a lot of positive changes. Uh, the show should continue to grow as we go forward uh, and I always welcome your feedback. Uh, please go over to iTunes and leave a review or wherever you get your podcast love. Just leave a little review saying what you like about the show. You can find me on uh, Twitter at Tom Singer or at Cool Podcast. Uh, also in addition to that, I'm on all the social medias at Tom Singer. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. We're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Russ. I know you're thinking, how is that even possible? But we always find somebody. Uh, So please come back. But in the meantime, go out there, flex your entrepreneurial muscle. Make sure your career ladder is against the right wall because there's nothing worse than getting to the top and realizing, "Uh uh-oh, I climbed the wrong ladder. And then finally, while you're out there doing what you do, have a great day. 
Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>